0: Hello, my name is John Colvin and this is Meeting Our Fathers, a podcast about evangelicals rediscovering the history, wisdom, and theology of the historic church. Welcome to the first episode of Meeting Our Fathers. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. This has been something that I've been praying about and thinking about, um, and, and I'm excited to start this journey with you. Like I said, this podcast is for those of us who are um, really rediscovering um, the history of, of the Church, maybe are part of tradition that um, we haven't had this. Uh, we haven't had a whole lot of emphasis on historical theology or historic practices, and each uh, episode you'll see will be structured after um, the the liturgy, the the practice of the historic church, meaning that we'll have uh, some prayers, we'll have some readings um, from scripture, um, and then we're just going to have some discussion. Uh, usually, I'll try to have somebody else on the podcast who uh, is more, probably more, inf- you know, uh, informed um, than myself. But today, I'll just kind of be going through some some readings, and uh, just talk a little bit about my journey. So for this episode, we're going to start with a a collect, which is a prayer, an intro prayer. Then we're going to do a reading uh, from St. Irenaeus in his book Against Heresies, have some discussion on that, and then we're going to do a psalm reading of Psalm 111, continued discussion, and then we're going to do some uh, reading in the Gospel of John, say the Apostles' Creed, And kind of discuss some more, and then we're going to end with a benediction. Let's start first with a prayer. A collect from the liturgy of John Chrysostom and Basil the Great. Let our mouths be filled with your praise, O Lord, that we may sing of your glory. For you have permitted us to partake of your holy, divine, immortal, and life-giving mysteries. Preserve us in your holiness, that we may meditate on your righteousness all the day long. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. A reading from St. Irenaeus of Lyons out of Against Heresies. But again, when we refer to them, that is, the heretics... the tradition which originates from the apostles and which is preserved by the means of succession of the presbyters in the churches they object to the tradition saying that they themselves are wiser not merely than the presbyters but even than the apostles because they have discovered the unadulterated truth for they maintain that the apostles intermingled the things of the law with the words of the savior and that not the apostles alone, but even the Lord himself, spoke as at one time from the Dimerge, and at another time from an immediate place, and yet again from the plemura. But they themselves indubitably, unsullenly, and purely have the knowledge of the hidden mystery, that is, to blaspheme their creator after a most impudent manner. It comes to this, therefore, that these men do not consent neither to scripture nor to the tradition Such are the adversaries with whom we have to deal, my very dear friend, endeavoring with the slippery serpents to escape at all points. Wherever they must be opposed at all points, if perchance by cutting off their retreat, we may succeed in turning them back to the truth. For though it is not an easy thing for a soul under the influence of error to repent, yet, on the other hand, It is not altogether impossible to escape from error when the truth is brought alongside it. It is within the power of all, therefore, in every church who may wish to see the truth, to contemplate clearly the tradition of the apostles, manifested through the whole world, and we are in a position to reckon up those who were by the apostles instituted bishops in the churches, and to demonstrate the succession of these men to our own times, those who were neither taught nor knew anything like what these heretics rave about. For if the apostles had known hidden mysteries, which they were in the habit of imparting to those who were perfect, apart and privy to the rest, they would have delivered them, especially to those whom they were committing to the churches themselves. For they were desirous that these should be the very perfect and blameless in all things whom also they were leaving behind as their successors, delivering up their own place of governance to them. If they were discharged if they discharged their functions honestly, they would be a great boon to the church, but if they should fall away, and it would be the direst of calamities. So Saint Irenaeus was really the first church father that I I read uh, a number of years ago, and probably my favorite to read, honestly. Uh, but he he was uh, a a church leader in the second century, so just probably two generations separated from the New Testament, um, from actually walking, you know, walking with Jesus. Uh, he has two surviving works. Um, the first being against heresies, which we read from today in Book Three of Against Heresies. And then his shorter work, which is called On the Demonstration of Epistolic Preaching, or some people just call it Demonstrations, or some people just call it On the Epistolic Preaching. But that was the first book I read um, from a church father, and it changed my life. It was so cool to see somebody who had, had been part of the church so long ago still held to the things I hold to. And not only that, but articulated it in such a way that I had never heard and really gave it, you know, a more multifaceted look at the story of Scripture. I just really enjoyed that. But getting back to the reading that we did today. So this translation that I read, honestly, probably wasn't the most (laughs) easy to understand. Um, But after I give some background, it should be pretty pretty easy to understand kind of um, what was going on in the text. So the first, his first book, Against Heresies, is about, well, obviously, his defense against heresy. Some people in the church uh, had, had crept up. Um, there was a man by the name of Valentinius, and there was one by the name of Marcion, and what we now call these are Gnostics. And they had an issue with the fact that so much of the Old Testament had to do with the physical earth, and had to do with mankind's bodies, because in their view, everything that was physical was inherently evil, which is not the case in Scripture. So they actually denied the Old Testament. They actually would say that the God of the Old Testament was called the dermerge and that we shouldn't follow him, that he was actually an evil God, and was not the father of Jesus Christ. The other really interesting thing was they denied the actual Body of Christ, the the true in, uh, incarnation of Christ. It's really funny because often we hear this argument that Jesus never claimed to be divine, and we always have this argument that Jesus was just a man; he wasn't God. But in the first century, it was actually the opposite. People couldn't believe that he was just a man. The claim that he was God was not that outrageous to them. The claim that he was also a man. That was that was more that was more um, controversial for them, and so what happens here is these people have gained a following in the church, and they had even been interpreting scripture, had been using scripture, and even denied parts of scripture to uh, get their point across. And what Saint Irenaeus does here is essentially tell us. Listen, these people who are propagating this false gospel are not in line with the apostles. It's interesting here. He doesn't go straight to scripture because they're also trying to use scripture. What he says is they are not in line with the tradition of the apostles. Now, when I say apostles, I mean those men who God had handed down the gospel and in the book of Acts we see the those who are starting the church, who are planting churches uh, who God gives the essentially, you know, the foundation uh, of the church. And Saint Irenaeus's argument here is, listen, you guys have no connection to them and you're not teaching what they taught. And what you you have to say, they would have never said. At the end of this uh, at the end of this uh, reading, he actually says, you know, these are the men who trained the next church leaders to take over the church. You would think that if they're training them to take over their position, they would hand down this secret knowledge you keep talking about, but they didn't. So it's obviously false. St. Irenaeus will then go on to show how the church was, you know, there was a succession of men who had taken the gospel and and furthered the church. even says about himself that he was discipled by Polycarp, who was a a first-century church father, and Polycarp was discipled by the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and walked with Jesus. So to Irenaeus, it was very important that there would be some sort of succession, that the church would be in line with what was taught uh, before them. Uh, by the apostles. And when I started reading this kind of stuff, and this wasn't the first book that I read um, that, that really um, lent itself to this kind of thought, I, I really began to think about theology differently. And this is where I want to kind of get into my story. So I, I want to give some caveats about when and how I started this podcast. So first of all, I'm not an expert on church history. Uh, I'm not an expert on historical theology or even liturgical practices. I I grew up in non-denominational evangelical churches in the American South, and I'm just on this journey. And really, in a sense, this podcast is selfishly for myself to document kind of this journey. Hopefully it's helpful for others. And then second caveat, I I don't at all— want to just spend my time bashing evangelicalism or saying, hey, this is everything that went wrong in the evangelical world. What I want to do with this podcast is essentially do what Irenaeus is doing here, which is telling his readers, he, he's pointing them back to the generations before him and what they taught and how they articulated the gospel. And that's actually a, a valid argument that he makes is, listen, what you preach and teach and in your interpretation of the scriptures have never been taught in the history of the church and by those who are in authority of the church. And he also finds it important that there is some sort of succession, that we are handing down the same gospel that we received from the generation before to the generation after. And this is not too crazy. I mean, think about it like this. How would you know Christ if someone had not preached the gospel to you? And how would that person have known Christ if someone had not preached the gospel to them? And that person who taught that person, how would they know the gospel unless someone handed it down to them and taught them the gospel? So I don't think it's too crazy to talk about succession because it's going to be there regardless. A reading from Psalm 111 Praise the Lord! I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered, and the Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works and is giving them their inheritance of the nations. The work of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and righteousness. He sends redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So the succession is, uh, succession is important in the church and when we talk about theology. And I, I want to help us think through this because... What I'm not saying here is anything that has to go against uh, scriptural inerrancy or the sufficiency of scripture. Uh, those are just terms talking about the fact that scripture is wholly true, there's no error, and that it's the lone source uh, for a revelation about God. What we're talking about here is more ecclesiology, which is the study of God's people, the church. The, even the Reformation um, writers uh, talk a lot about this. Um, actually, there's a great book that I that I would encourage, and I'm going to mention a lot of books on this podcast, um, not because I wanted to be academic solely, but just because that's how we learn. And when I mention a book, I will always try to put um, the name of the book and the author in the episode notes if you want to look that up. But a great book to read on this is Listening to the Past, the Place of Tradition in Theology by Stephen R. Holmes, and he talks a lot about how even uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther and some of these other reformers always point. You know, when they when they go to Scripture or they try to understand Scripture, they will actually go back to these first few centuries of the Church, which John Calvin would call when the Church was healthy and when she was young and healthy. And so it's not, you know, what I'm what I'm saying here is not, you know, radically different or, um, you know, it's still very Protestant, um, and evangelical. But I think it's wise that we look back and see how men, uh, godly men have talked about Scripture. And and Stephen Holmes gets into this and talks about how it has always been the tradition of the church, to look back onto the writings that came before. When we talk about the word. Church fathers. We talk about men who have written at crucial times in church history, and Irenaeus is one of those. He wrote at a very crucial time in the church. Another great book to read is *The Nature of Doctrine*, uh, which uh, is it's a little harder to read, but uh, it is it, it's a good book, um, and it, it's by George Lindbeck. And what he says essentially is. That doctrine and theology, uh, the nature of doctrine itself, is that which is handed down from the community the of authority. Which is funny, because I actually, as a kid, I, I grew up, I actually thought that the Bible was, like, this ancient text that had been lost, and, like, Indiana Jones found it, essentially, <laughs> in in, like, archaeological digs, and so that's what we started believing. That's actually what I thought growing up. Like, obviously, like, you know, we've had the writings of Scripture. We've, you know, there's this huge history, and, like, we do have this succession all the way back to those who wrote down the New Testament and even the Old Testament. This has been handed down. And I think that's what he's trying to get back, get at here that we aren't just a community of 21st century people that are holding to these beliefs that we have come up with ourselves because of our own reading of Scripture. What it is is the reading of Scripture that has been done by those who came before us, and we should cherish that. And that's kind of what we want to do with when it comes to reading Scripture and reading the Church Fathers. Gospel reading out of John chapter six thirty-five through 40. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of He who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we're going to shift here and kind of have some discussion on the next part of looking at historical Christianity, which is liturgical practices. Now the word liturgy just means the work of the people. And when we talk about liturgy, primarily what we usually mean is we're talking about um, the way in which the church service is conducted, or uh, the way that the church looks at uh, the calendar year. How is it that we live within the rhythms of the year uh, as the people of God and look to the story of God in our lives? Now, many of us grew up having the idea that tradition and especially the word ritual is a bad word. That you know we have the idea in our minds of um, of these people just doing these random acts that have no true meaning because it's just there's no heart in it. It's just a ritual, is what we'll say. Well, rituals are very important because they're symbols of something that have much bigger significance than we can communicate otherwise. One of my professors, uh, when I started school, talked about this. Uh, he talked about symbolism and the power of symbolism. And one of the things he, he said was, you know, symbols are so powerful. We have this idea. We, we, we always say, well, that's just symbolic. Usually we say that phrase when we don't like what it might mean for us He told us, no, symbols, we literally live and die by symbols. Think about if you're driving down the road at 40 miles an hour and you see a symbol that says the word stop on it and it's big and it's red and it's sticking out of the ground. Well, you can look at that and say, well, there's nothing, that that's not truly what makes me stop. That's just a symbol. Well, yes, but if you don't listen to that symbol or pay attention to it, you're going to be hit by a very real car, which will make you stop. Likewise, he also said, think about it like this. Suppose I go to my wife and I say, hey, you know, I kiss you all the time, but it's just a symbol of my love. My love is not a kiss. My love is, you know, this this thing that I have for you that is intangible. So instead of just kissing you every day, why don't I just kiss you once a quarter? Because I love you, and the symbol isn't what my love is. This way, it can be more meaningful if it's not so often. But you and I know, if we're being honest, that's not really how we should think about symbols or rituals. We live in a world filled with symbols, filled with rituals, and it really just kind of depends on which rituals are we going to build our lives around. I remember a few years ago, I was really trying to um, walk closer to the Lord, and I had really nothing. It was just, you know, the tradition I grew up in did not give me uh, a very grounded or concrete way of thinking about the gospel in my everyday life. Yes, there was, you know, go and do a quiet time each morning, which I think you should do, but gave me really no tools on how to do that. Liturgy on the other hand, gives us a way to shape our lives around the chaos, you know, regardless of the chaos that goes around us, regardless of our culture, to form our lives around the story of the gospel so that the rhythms of our lives will be synced up with the rhythms of the gospel. And the actual liturgical service, or Mass, is what it's called in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, when I read through this for the first time, I realized, and also in, in the Book of Common Prayer, uh, their service, both of these I saw, they were actually stories from beginning to end, the entire service, both telling and acting out the gospel. It started with creation and the goodness of God and the goodness of his creation and praising him for it. Then we went to confession and, and told one another and God, of our sins, and ask for forgiveness. We were then met with the Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper in our terminology, and told that through Christ, we have been forgiven and renewed. We then interact with the Word of God through different lectionary readings, similar to how I've structured this podcast, and then finished up with a benediction where we are sent out to live our lives in response to what we have heard today. It was beautiful, and I hope that we can explore these traditions and liturgical practices. So next, we're going to participate in one of those liturgical practices, which is affirming the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to death. On the third day, he rose again from the grave. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meeting Our Fathers. Hopefully, our next episode will be coming out soon, and I'll have someone on who's a bit more uh, fun to listen to than me. Until then...